smeared with an ointment frequently, so that blood and pus do not fill the opening of the wound. Don't walk around in the wind and sun, or else dust and dirt may contaminate the opening of the wound. Keep looking after the wound, my good man, and work for its healing. Do I have to read it over again? (laughs) Welcome. And the thought would occur to the man, my arrow has been pulled out. The poison has been extracted with no residue left behind. So it is not enough to do me harm. He would eat suitable food so the wound wouldn't fester. He would wash it and smear it with an ointment frequently to prevent infection. He would not not walk around in the wind and the sun, so dust and dirt would not contaminate the opening of the wound. Now both because of these suitable actions of his, and because of there being no residue of the poison left behind, the wound would heal. And with the healing of the wound and its being covered with skin, he wouldn't incur death or death-like suffering. In the same way, there is the possible case where a certain monk thinks, craving is said, craving is said by the contemplative to be an arrow. So imagine that we are penetrated by the arrow, arrow of craving in our hearts. Hearts and minds. Hearts. Not brain. Heart. The mind. I remember once I was being interviewed by my preceptor and he said, where is your mind? And I said, here. Very good. (laughs) 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 The poison of ignorance spreads its toxin through desire passion and ill will. I have abandoned the arrow. I have expelled the poison of ignorance. I am rightly intent on Nibbana. Because he is rightly intent on Nibbana, he would not pursue those things that are unsuitable for a person rightly intent on Nibbana. He would not pursue unsuitable forms and sights with the eye. He would not pursue unsuitable sounds with the ear, unsuitable aromas with the nose, unsuitable flavors with the tongue, unsuitable tactile sensations with the body. He would not pursue unsuitable ideas with the intellect. When he does not pursue unsuitable forms and sights, with the eye, unsuitable ideas with the intellect, then lust or desire does not invade the mind. And with his, not, with his mind not invaded by lust, desire, passion, craving, he does not incur death or death-like suffering. And the Buddha says, I have given this simile to convey a meaning. The meaning is this. 
The wound stands for the sixth sense media. The poison is ignorance. The arrow is craving. The probe is mindfulness. The knife is noble discernment or wisdom. The surgeon is the Tathagata, the Blessed One, worthy and self-awakened. Does this sound familiar? We are all wounded. We are wounded with the poison of ignorance, pierced by the arrow of craving. And we, are, we have been given tools with which to work and with which to extract this poison. And we are constantly wounded again and again by the sixth sense media. Notice that the word media is used. It's interesting because in worldly life, in, 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 in our daily lives, we are constantly receiving messages from the media, all kinds of media. And the mind is also a media. It's like a big radar receiver that receives these messages and interpret them in ignorant ways. And we become sick. Our energy becomes morbid. And we, we live in fear. We are all frightened. All of us are frightened. And our frightened is due to the poison of ignorance and the arrow of craving that pierces our hearts. And all the, all the ways that we organize our lives around this condition are only also other conditions. So they are not true medicines to heal us from this situation, from this predicament. We try all kinds of things. We try to prop up the body. We uh, cater to our desires and our wishes. We are tyrannized, as we've spoken about before. We are under the tyranny of these senses and of all the messages that continue to come to us, which we welcome, inviting. We invite them. We welcome them in. Come in, Mara, take over, it's okay. <laughs> but actually we are terrified to really see what we're doing. And that's why some of you today and yesterday were reporting that you feel a kind of restlessness, this intense energy, like you just want to get out of here. And it isn't just kind of shift, shifting around so you can find the right posture. It's a deep inner angst. Now, at first, this restlessness manifests as just beginning to feel things that you would never allow yourself to feel, beginning to acknowledge how wounded we are, beginning to recognize how very angry we are at ourselves or at our lives, or at our loved ones, or at our ex-loved ones, at the world, at life, 
at our, our jobs, at our kids, at our parents, at our sexuality, our own energy. We're just all twisted up inside. How did we get like this? Well, when you're trying to pull out an arrow from a wound, you don't ask, how did it get like this? You just gently try to heal the wound. You don't start analyzing. You, You know, like if somebody is in an accident and the ambulances come, they don't stand around with measuring tapes to try to figure out how it happened. They just get the person out and rush them to the hospital. It's urgent. Now this restlessness that we feel is actually the beginning of the energy of urgency. It's the very first level of samvega. And samvega means waking up to the urgency of the danger we're in. Because if we go on like this, then we're like dead men walking. You know, we're like ghosts. We're not living our lives. We're just machines. We're not feeling our feelings. We're not in our bodies, even. We're just robots. Cardboard cutouts of human beings with all wrapped up in cotton wool and all kinds of disguises and masks so that we don't have to feel this fear, so that we don't have to acknowledge how angry we are. And then we, we can just cope. And the more the more coping we indulge in, which is just a survival mechanism, because we're out of ignorance, we don't know any better, the worse our condition gets. It almost gets so bad that we go beyond the point of return. And then we come to the monastery. And we start to sit, or we go to, you know, we go to some other situation. We go to the forest, and we sit quietly and listen to the birds, and we feel some sense of of wonder and stillness in our hearts. Our minds are not being thrown around for a second by all the emotions and the whirlwind of passions and desires and wantings and cravings and unrest and the opinions we have about ourselves and our lives and our situation and our predicament and our judgments about what to do and what not to do and how we can get more and how we can get rid of the usual ways that we spin around on this ferris wheel of samsara. So we're sitting in the stillness and what what is it that we experience for the first time? Maybe the maybe the that delightful high pitched note of a bellbird that distracts us from all this uh, poison in the mind or in the heart. And we take a deep breath and it just feels so liberating. Only for a moment. It's a taste. Taste. We're not thinking. It's just a moment of pure hearing. 
And it's almost like we're that little child again who for the first time saw the sunrise or saw a butterfly land on a leaf and just looked at it in complete awe and wonder or looked into the eyes of our mother and saw unconditional, unconditional love. You ever see when a mother is holding a, a young baby and you know, he just his eyes, her eyes open up very, very big and they're looking at each other with these this tenderness. How do we, we recapture that that purity? When we sit here and we go into the moment and we put down the past, the future, and we begin to listen with that compassionate listening. It's a bit like what Naomi did when she stood in front of the Kuan Yin, who is the mother of compassion. And the flame didn't light. And she had to sit there patiently. She didn't grab it and say, come on you. Come on, light, quick, they're all waiting. We weren't trying to pressure her either. Hurry up. (laughs) Because love is like that. That pure, unconditional love has this attitude of caring for the moment. So you sit with the candle. All the, all the, the equipment that you need, all the ingredients for illumination are already there. There's the wax, there's the wick, and there's the match or the lighter. It's just putting the three together in the right way, illumination. And in the right moment, waiting till the wick is long enough to actually connect with the wax. This is, this is the mother of compassion watches with compassionate eyes, with a compassionate heart, observing until the moment and waits patiently. And we all wait patiently, supporting the one who will light the candle for all of us. And that's what we're doing here. Each of us is like a mother of compassion. We have to sit so still and be so patient and be so all-forgiving of the moment until the Buddha, who is sitting in our own hearts, the true, uncontaminated, untainted energy of enlightenment resides within the pure heart of unconditional love, which that energy is here in each of us. If we are able to rest in it, open to it, feel it, taste it, offer ourselves to it, surrender to it. But we're too frightened. We are too frightened and we believe in our restlessness. As soon as the restlessness comes up, we resist. We would rather resist than surrender. Why? Because resistance is familiar. It's a coping mechanism. 
It's a way of not looking, not feeling, not daring to see what we, what we really need to see in order to take out this poison without leaving any residue. We have to be hugely compassionate to ourselves. We have already arrived. We're here. We have all the tools that we need. We have the skills. We have the mindfulness. The ability to apply it. We have the faith to sit here and look and feel our stuff. Invite it in. Welcome it in. Not resist. Restlessness, we can sit with it. Even if we have to die, and we won't die of restlessness, for sure. I've never heard of anybody dying of restlessness. It's just an idea. It's a thought. It's the ego. Oh, I don't want to sit through this. Find an excuse, any reason to get up and go somewhere to the bathroom, have a cup of tea, you know, too tired, that old pain, my knee will fall off, or my leg will fall My, you know, me, 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 something, some old coping me- mechanism sets in and we're off. But we have the power, we have, we can actually sit and watch until, until the right view of our minds is cultivated and matures enough to see the factors of the path light, illuminate our consciousness so that we, we can come face to face with our fear and feel it, not in our heads, here, in the body. Actually, go to the middle of the burning, sit in the flames and burn. We're so afraid of that burning, but actually that's the fire of enlightenment. That is the illumination. If we apply enough compassion and mindfulness and clear comprehension, which is wise, which is discerning, which can see the origin of our suffering, we are the very architects of it, we're holding on to that anger as if it was a lifeboat. We're protecting our fear as if it's our fuel for life. It is the death of us. It steals our life away from us. If we want to live consciously, we must taste the things that we fear the most and see that they are empty. They are the energy of love itself. Anger when we see that energy of enlightenment as anger, because it's the same energy, it takes us to death. But when we feel it with that compassionate vision, with a compassionate heart, when we allow ourselves to open and be with it, penetrating through the restlessness, courageous, persevering, determined to see what is really in there. What is this wound? How can I heal? Not why is it there. Just feel it. It's there. The why isn't important. Let go the why. 
let go the because, let go the blaming mind, the guilty mind, all those thoughts, those thoughts are just our old selfish habits. They will never free us. They are the, the chains that imprison us. They are what keep us from the joy of our own enlightenment, of our own freedom. So, dropping the thought is a bit like extracting the arrow, healing the poison with a compassionate, loving heart, and allowing ourselves to face whatever demon arises in the heart, in the mind, and saying, I know what you are, naming it jealousy, fear. As soon as we name it anger, loneliness, despair, depression, resentment, bitterness, as soon as we name it, it dissolves. It's empty. The only power it has is our belief in it. But it hurts. This process hurts. Why does it hurt? Because it involves change. And change is unknown. What we know, we think what we know, is familiar. And the familiarity, the familiarity, familiarity of it gives us a, a false sense of security. But my goodness, to allow ourselves to sit with what is unknown, to risk uncertainty, to risk going into those dark, unexplored caverns of the heart. We would rather die in the ruins of our lives than climb the cross of illumination. W.H. Auden, more or less. <laughs> My memory. <laughs> There's a very beautiful quote from Viktor Frankl who was one of the uh, prisoners in Auschwitz. And he's, he's written some glory. He's dead now, but he was a great psychologist and wrote some beautiful books about the meaning of life. And he wrote, What is to give light must endure burning. Isn't it glorious? We want to give light, but we're afraid to suffer. We're afraid of the pain. When, when our very freedom lies in the middle of that pain, our very quenching of the thirst lies in the middle of our thirst. The very healing of our wound lies in probing into the wound itself and removing the arrow. We can't remove the arrow by looking at it and saying, 
excuse me, but there's an arrow. (laughs) And it's about three inches deep. It's a big deal. It does nothing. It's analytical. It's an idea. We have to pick up the match, aim it for the wick, for the wick, set up a candle with a wick, first of all, and put it on the shrine of our life and light it. This is love. This is an act of pure love. Nothing greater, nothing less. Why wait? Why not dive into the stream of your hurting heart and heal? This is what is what is meant, my theory, of stream entry. It's diving into the river of life and going with that flow and just knowing it as flow, being the flow, being that energy, pure being of the energy of life. It's not sexual energy. That's an interpretation that we use in many, many ways for aggression to escalate the excitement of our lives. And we do this with anger, too. We escalate the excitement of our lives. But actually, these emotions, e-motion, that's like email. <laughs> this is mo- electric motion. Nibbana has nothing. Nibbana is the opposite of movement. It's stillness. Emotion is excited. Mo- it's motion. It's moving. It's dynamic. Finding some way of exciting, tantalizing the mind. Anger. That's a label in this pure energy. It's not true. It's our false view. If we have right view, we realize, we realize that all the energy of our body and mind is pure until we ignorantly call it something else, like fear or negativity or pride. I'm better than you or you and me. There is no separation. But we have all these these tricks. We've been fooled again and again. We're living in deceit, in exploitation, in manipulation, in blindness. So, you know, it's like when your computer gets clogged up with email, you can't deal with it. There's too many messages going on. You just want to shut the thing off and put it in a drawer or give it to someone. Do you want to get any more email? And the same with these kind of emotions, all these judgments and opinions and the selfish desires that wind us up and up more and more and more till we have a heart attack. Or if it's not a physical heart attack, it's a heart attack. It's fear. We're terrified. 
of breathing. And then we have to go for therapy or we have to take certain pills to calm down. We make ourselves so ill or we allow, we empower other people to make us so ill because of our ignorance about our sickness. We have not understood where the wound is, what it is. We're searching all around for the cure and it's right here in the very wound itself. It's not analyzing it or observing it and saying, what a nice wound, what a deep wound. Oh, look at my wonderful wound. (laughs) Over and over and over again for years and telling everybody, I'm so wounded. I'm this kind of a wounded person. I'm that kind of a wounded person. We're frightened of change. Then, to, to renounce. Faith is about renouncing the craving mind. So we renounce the craving mind and we move towards the stillness of the heart. We allow the energy of illumination of the awakened mind to arise within us of the awakened heart to arise within us and this energy when it reaches its culmination there is a holocaust what is to give light must endure burning there is a holocaust which actually liberates us from all the poisons of the five senses, from all the poisons of the media out there. Never mind the media in here, the big media out there, which has brainwashed us happily and gotten us heavily invested in the world. And the reason we're so frightened is because we know that if we sit long enough with that restlessness, if we go deeply enough into that fear, we're going to have to make dramatic changes in our lives in order not to shut down again, put it all back together just so we can keep on functioning as per status quo. We know that it means a commitment to transformation. And that's terrifying. You might all be lining up to shave your heads. <laughs> I'm not worried about that. <laughs> but I mean, really, you might start having to make very dramatic changes in the way you live and the way you do things. And that's frightening. Because it's unknown. But it's true. We don't want to live in a lie. We want to be true, to be true. To know the truth, we have to live in truth. We have to live in truth. And we must light that candle like a mother of compassion, a wise mother. We light the candle and we endure the burning the Holocaust that will purify our hearts from all these poisons that we have been carrying around for years and some of us are already like this. We walk around. That's not old age. Yeah, the longer you do it, you know. I mean, there are certain physical dimensions 
just na- natural things about the body. But some of us are young, and we're all curled up. Look at your posture. If it's not your posture in the body yet, look at the way you're curled up around your your heart area, this chakra. Just feel what that feels like, how much armor there is. I'm not talking about the armor of patience here. I'm talking about a different armor that we hold over our hearts. Don't come near me. Gulp. <laughs> Anytime, you know, the truth gets too close to the bone, we, we, we put down that armor to separate us. We, we shut down. at some level or other even if we do it unconsciously we are doing that we I'm not saying you I'm saying me this has been my process I've observed this all my life I am resolved to live in love to live in purity it is a holocaust It's not just about the Holocaust my parents lived through. It's about the Holocaust in my own heart. And I am willing to endure that burning because I have seen the results in me, in my way of being, of bearing the pain, bearing the humiliation, bearing the renunciation. It's not like you ordain and you renounce and that's the end of it. Every day is a huge renunciation that is unknown. I don't know what's going to come up. I don't know where I'm going to have to let go pride, let go this power that we hang on to, which is unreal anyway. Let go unconscious living and wake up. Let go defending myself from my own fear and anger and illusion and the desire to be somebody to be something when I know it's just a deception so the holocaust in here must happen and then the result is light but don't believe me try it <laughs> you are trying it You. someone came up to me today and said I did it. I'm doing it. It works. (laughs) It might be a little doing. It doesn't matter. Go for it. The more we do, the more we train our minds, train our hearts, train our bodies, our habits, the more we go to the places that terrify us, the more we burn away the terrorists who dwells in here. We terrify the terrorist. I have to tell you a little story. Nasruddin, you've heard of Nasruddin the Holy Fool? This uh, Nasruddin was living on a he, he was a poor guy you know and he lived on a diet of chickpeas and bread and next to him lived a rich man who claimed that he was very wise and he said to Nasruddin hey Nasruddin 
why don't you serve the emperor and flatter him and then you can live like me and you can have sumptuous meals and have a big beautiful house because Nasruddin lived in a little shack and Nasruddin said why don't you stop and do what I'm doing and just eat chickpeas and bread and then you won't have to be a servant to the emperor what does this mean? We're talking here, the emperor are all the dazzling, the emperor is all the dazzling lights and riches and wealth and power and fame and success of society, of samsara. All the false delights. And we don't want to give them up for a simple diet, a very simple, humble diet of clear presence, pure presence, compassionate wisdom, patient endurance, present moment, the stopping, the stilling of all mental formations, the burning through to the truth of the way things really are. It's a radical simplicity and it requires radical faith it it actually requires worship and that's what I mean when I say put the candle on the altar of your life and worship there worship the truth the love the unconditional love within you the Buddha in your own heart and then see the result because you know the result of not doing that. I mean, that's why we're all here. One quote from Ishiroshi. A pearl is produced only through the pearl oysters enduring the pain of having a grain of sand bore into its flesh fighting against it and protecting itself against it we also by fighting all kinds of difficulties and overcoming them strive to develop the jewel of spiritual cultivation then we will have the pearl. You know how you open up an oyster and there's a pearl in there. But it didn't, it got there through a very painful process. So, of course, this word fight can be used here, it's used in a slightly different way. We want to go to the stilling. But that stilling does require tremendous courage, the courage of the spiritual warrior who actually is so brave that he can sit still in the flames and be the candle itself. I can see you all like candles in the world. You see Naomi lit a candle. One, one candle, you know when it's dark, 
she lit the candle for all of us not just for, for her it's for all of us and then when we light the candle of our lives it's not just for us it's for the whole world this is not a selfish activity people think you're so selfish you spend all your life praying all you do is pray or meditate or whatever you do there you know it's not selfish it's the selfishness that ends selfishness So I see you all like candles in the world. I don't think that's what they meant in the song, Light My Fire. (laughs) (laughs) So keep, keep suffering. Keep going. So much blessing coming from this. So much spiritual beauty. of this E notion, this energy of movement. It's the cessation of all movement, but it is the purest energy of all. And this happens because there is no more wick. It's the opposite of this image. Very interesting. There is no more fuel left to burn. And the fire goes out. The fire of passion, of greed, of delusion. It's the ending of all movement. So contemplate that. 